Blog Talk Radio. It's great to have Grammy winner Kathy Matea joining us on the telephone from her palatial Tennessee estate. Kathy, do you ever get tired of hearing yourself called Grammy winner Kathy Matea? Oh, you know, it's a nice feather in your cap, you know. And uh, when, I, when I first started making records, I used to say, oh, you know, you don't do it for the awards and stuff. But I have to say that there's some part of you that sort of relaxes when your peers sort of say, hey, we think you contributed something here, you know. Some, somehow it's like, okay, somehow your results matched your intent, and there's a, there's a certain kind of piece in that. Do you, have, do you remember specifically, the, like, the first big award that you were nominated for and how you heard about it and, and all that? Um, I remember I had been making records for a couple of years, and I, I, I couldn't get a hit. I had a few things on the charts, but nothing that you'd call a hit. And... Love at the Five and Dime came out, and it kind of floated up the charts just effortlessly. And that year I was nominated for a Grammy right after it had come out. And uh, I was like, you're kidding me. I mean, it was like it was like being plucked from obscurity or something. It was just crazy. And uh, I remember going, and, uh, and Nancy Griffith was up for an album that had her version on it as well. And so it was both of our first times going, and we kind of hung out a little bit there and it was just, you know, it was one of those dream come true moments. Did you make a, a big first purchase when the hit started coming? Do you remember what the first thing was you said? All right, I'm putting the plastic down on this now. No, really. I mean, I didn't. You know, it took me a while. To, I, I still, in the early days of my record deal, I still was doing recording sessions because I wasn't really making any money. And uh, I think it took a while for my perception to catch up with what was really going on um and it wasn't like i you know it wasn't like i just went from zero to 60 and i think that was a real blessing for me it's it sort of felt like a slow build over the first four or five years so um there were no big purchases really i still lived in a modest house and um and i think maybe the first decent purchase was maybe a you know a new car for the first time that what, might have been the first kind of what kind of car did you get what was your first new car a Honda Accord. Oh, it's deep luxury. Oh, you're living large now. Big country oh, music yeah. star. Oh, large. <laughs> Kathy Matea is our guest. She's performing at the Weinberg Center Saturday, May 9th. The new CD, Cole, is nominated for a Grammy. Did you go to the Grammy Awards when you got the nomination this year? Of course. It's been 15 years since I was nominated for a Grammy. I bought a new dress and dressed my husband up and said, Honey, we're going to the prom. <laughs> <laughs> and we... Headed out to L.A. and had a great time and lost to Pete Seeger, who made a record called At 89. <laughs> so I got all these text messages from my friends that said, well, you know, we, according to our calculations, you have 40 more years left to get this Grammy, so you're doing okay. <laughs> How dare Pete Seeger come out with a new album at 89 years old? Uh, you know, it, it, you can't feel bad when the guy invented the genre that you're nominated in, you know? That's exactly right. And here's another interesting thing about all that. Yeah. You know, you wonder, as you go through your career and stuff, you have all these different experiences, and, and you wonder, wow, will I really be okay if I don't win, and how will this feel after all this time and at this point in my life? And So I got a chance to learn something you can't learn any other way, and, and that was that, you know, after that moment came and went, and, you know, you sort of have all the adrenaline, and you're waiting to see what name is called, what was left for me was just a just this feeling of gratitude. I mean, I just felt so 
happy to be there, I think mostly because there was so much goodwill for my record. People were stopping me and talking to me about it, and I just thought, you know, it would be so easy for me to have made a record that nobody cared about. And and whether or not I won the award did not change how the people who had affection for my record. So that's the part about those award shows that has a bit of falseness to it, you know, because we, as human beings, we can like more than one record at a time, so... Well, now, did you did you freak out about what you were going to wear to the big night? <laughs> no, I, I I'm way over all that. You know, I just uh, I went out to a little local boutique and I found a dress on sale and I liked it and it showed my legs, which are my best feature and the last to go. You know, oh, come so on. I figure I'm going to wear them as long as I can, and uh, you know, just it, it was great. I mean, it was easy. It wasn't a big deal. Well, you know, uh, I have to tell you, the, the new CD, Cole, is in hot rotation on my CD player. And I'm a Southern West Virginia guy. I grew up there, very close to where you grew up. So so I get it. And all those references and all those great songs, they hit really close to home to me. But I wonder what people say to you in Los Angeles, for example, uh, that they relate to that album in any way, shape, or form. So how does that work exactly? Well, you know, there's a couple of things about that. Um, one is that when I set out to make this record, I wanted to make a record that that lived well as a musical experience, not just as an ex- an art, just for the people who it was about. I, my goal was to be able to bring this story to people who might never have thought about it, and so the play in on it is really soulful, and I think a lot of people find their way into it that way. Some people find their way into it because they have affection for some of the older songs, Cold Tattoo, you know, and L&N and some of those. Um, and some people are just craving some kind of bridge between um, an older folk sensibility and a modern kind of approach. And there's all of that. And then there's the part where I get to go play these songs and remind people that they're all connected to this story, that every time you flip your light switch on, you're connected to the story, whether you're aware of it or not. And then there's the whole part about it that's, that is sort of that um, every man's struggle, you know, that the labor movement and the history of it and people who are still hardworking today and kind of feel like they might not have a lot of choices. And, you know, there is a real sense in these songs of people living through great hardship and making, make, you know, kind of still being connected to their sense of dignity and still being present in their lives and um, kind of making the best of it. And, you know, there's a lot of inspiration in that. So I don't know, you know, for me, there are many ways to access this record. The record that we're talking about is Cole. It's the Grammy-nominated new CD from Kathy Matea, and let's play a track now. Here's Green Rolling Hills. Oh, the green rolling hills of West Virginia Are the nearest thing to heaven that I know Though the times are sad and drear And I cannot linger here They'll keep me and never let me go My daddy said don't ever be a miner For a miner's grave is all there's hard times everywhere I can't find a dime to spare These are the worst times I've ever known But the green rolling hills of West Virginia Are the nearest thing to heaven 
Kathy Matea is our guest, and she's performing at the Weinberg Center in Frederick, Maryland, Saturday, May 9th. And, uh, Kathy, the, the new album is Cole, and it's nominated for a Grammy. So uh, this is sort of like coming full circle for you. You had all those hits in the 80s and the 90s, and now you're you're back doing it again. Do you feel like you're at the top of your game? I, I don't know if I'd call it the top of my game. I feel like I'm at the maybe the height of my powers as a singer. Um there's a moment in time my, my longtime voice teacher has told me about for years. She said, there's this place in a woman's voice in the late 40s, you know, in your late 40s, where the richness in your voice comes in, a maturity comes in, but you still have all your technique. You still have every, all your faculties about you, phys, your physical uh, abilities. And I didn't understand that until I really got into these songs. And there was a point where I realized I couldn't have sung these songs at 20. You know, I had to be in my 40s. I had to live some life, and you had to be able to hear that in my voice. Um, and yet they were really challenging. So, um, yeah, in a lot of ways, I feel like I'm at my richest point. Maybe that's it. I'm able to inhabit this music that is 
is so deep and has so much nuance to it. I think better than maybe I ever have been, would have been able to before. Well, I have to tell you, I saw the show um, several months ago, and it was fantastic, and you sound phenomenal, and you look fantastic. <laughs> Thank you. And and I would imagine. I try to take care of myself. Well, clearly, and I would imagine that there are constantly, and you you got to fess up on this, there constantly have to be guys that are hitting on you all the time because you look great <laughs> and you sound wonderful. So when these guys hit on you, how do you handle that? Uh, mostly I think I'm just oblivious. If anyone's hitting on me, I have no idea because I'm about as married as they come. So, And I think I kind of always feel like people can read that, you know. I sort of have that, you know, she's taken stamp on my forehead. I'm not out there looking. Your husband, John, is a fantastic singer-songwriter in his own right and uh, just played the, the Birch Mirror, is playing the Birch Mirror in Alexandria to open for America and uh, uh, co-wrote one of your biggest hits. So tell us about that song. Oh, man, you know, that song changed both our lives. And, and in fact, as we speak, my husband and the, the person he co-wrote that song with, Don Henry, are are hanging out in the basement writing songs right now, <laughs> even as we do this interview. Cool. Um, I, uh, you know, it, it was the first song of John's that I ever recorded. Um, we were both terrified that he was going to grind my career to a screeching halt. And instead, you know, it just wound up being this really big surprise for both of us. And, uh, you know, it was a true story. And the way John tells it, um, he was just telling Don about the story one day, and Don said, that's the song we should write. And John swears he never would have written the song if Don had not had the idea. The song is about John's grandparents, and I, they were both gone before I met John. But uh, I knew his parents, and it, it was his dad's mom and dad. And uh, and so, you know, I felt like I, I, I got to hear all the stories about them over the years. The song is uh, is incredible, and we're going to play it for you now. It's Where Have You Been? Kathy Matea. There had all but given up when she and Edwin fell in love. She touched his face and shook her head in disbelief. She sighed and said, In many dreams. I've held you near Now at last you're really here Where have you been? I've looked for you forever and a day Where have you been? I'm just not myself when you're away
is our guest today. She's playing at uh, the Weinberg Center in Frederick Saturday, May 9th. It's going to be a fantastic show. You'll hear all the hits along with all these tracks of this incredible new album called Cole that was nominated for a Grammy this year. And, uh, and Kathy, I'll tell you, the first time uh, I took my wife to my hometown in southern West Virginia, we stopped at a convenience store before we got uh, to my home. My folks were still alive then. And, and we popped in to, to grab some gum, I think. And a guy walked in uh, with his face and his entire body totally black, and he'd just come from a, a shift at the mines. And, and, and my wife, who is from southern Louisiana, sort of uh, got really close to me and said, who is this guy? Is he a homeless guy? <laughs> What's the story there? Wow. So uh, when, when miners come up to you, or maybe retired miners, and they've heard this album, the, the stories they must tell you must be incredible. Yeah, I have had some really emotional experiences. Um, I've had people just come up to me, and I've had people wait a long time in line after the show to just come and tell me thank you for, and people just saying, you know, you just told my life story, or, you know, I've had people come up through the line and say, I have black lung, you know, thank you for, thank you for, you know, just honoring the people that I work with. And I've had people come and say, you know, I've worked in the mines for years, and we've been through stuff every day that, you know, we don't. We don't report in. We just kind of, people just kind of take care of each other down there. I mean, there have just been so many stories. Um, And, you know, it's really nice to be able to take these stories to a wider audience and remember these people that really work so hard for all the rest of us and get forgotten until something like the Sago mine disaster happens and a bunch of them get killed. Then suddenly we think about miners again, and then we sort of forget they're there until it's, you know, until something brings it to the forefront again. And I think they just appreciate their story being told. And for the rest of the country, I think there's sort of a mystique to that way of life, you know. The idea of spending time underground. I was talking to a cousin of mine the other day, and we were reminiscing about our grandfather. And, you know, my dad said in the wintertime, Grandpa never saw the light of day most of the week. That's right. The sun wasn't up when he went down, and the sun had already gone down when he came out. So... He just spent 24-7 in darkness. I mean, I just think most of us can't imagine that life. No, you're exactly right. My own grandfather, who was a mine foreman for years, uh, you know, he was in his 70s by the time I have a recollection of him. He had no fingers on his right hand, only a thumb from grabbing a live electrical wire down there, and his hearing was severely damaged from a mine explosion. Having said that, I know that uh, the gentleman that, that wrote the liner notes for your album, Homer Hickam, the great West Virginia author, and you did a, a tour of a mine uh, earlier this year, and things have certainly changed for a lot of coal miners since uh, the days uh, that many of the songs in your album speak of. Yeah, you know, when Homer Hickam calls you up and says, do you want to go down on a mine, you just say yes. You know, it's (laughs) like one of those once-in-a-lifetime opportunities to to go at all, to go into a working mine, and also to get to go with Homer. You know, it was just it was just one of the high points of my whole life. You know, and uh, we went down in a in a console mine oh, by near Farmington, and uh, it was high coal. It was about six feet, and uh, it was just an incredible experience. We went about a thousand feet down and about two miles in, 
and I got to run a big machine. You know, I got to run a long wall mining machine and a continuous mining machine. And they, you know, it was it was the epitome of you know this probably the safest coal mine on the planet. And it was great to see what's possible. You know, your wish is that every company would spend the money and the, the time and the care on taking care of their miners as well as as you know this mine took care of theirs. And uh, you know that's obviously the gold standard. And uh, you find people who toe the line and people who don't, and that's part of any industry. But it was great to see how far it's come and and just the the lengths that they went to to keep people safe. Kathy Mateus, our guest, we're talking about our, our Grammy-nominated new CD, Cold. And uh, I know that you're very involved in, in the uh, the environmentalist movement. And w- were you worried at all, especially being a West Virginia girl and with this album about coal coming out, that that may alienate some of the folks that have followed you for all these years? And, in fact, have you had any kind of blowback because of it? Well, you know, this record is has no agenda except just to tell the story. Sure. Um, and it it really came out of a, a a desire to process my own grief that I felt when I watched Sego go happen. You know, when I watched it all go down and and kind of rode that emotional roller coaster with the rest of the co- country and just felt so helpless. And the environmental stuff was sort of running on a parallel track in my life that felt completely unrelated. And there was this moment when they kind of converged. And I think you know my take on it is this. I'm just a person out here living a life. And about 10 years ago, someone that I really respect made a tiny suggestion to me. And she said, you know, especially when things are hard, you might want to just experiment with starting your day every day by sort of asking how you get, like sending up a prayer for to be of service, just best service you can for that day, just a day at a time. And I started doing that. And so one day I wake up in the middle of, um, this environmental thing and learning about it and feeling like, you know, I'm getting steered a baby step at a time to try to be of service if I can. And so I, I trust that process. And so my trust in that is bigger than any fear I have. But I also have to say that um, sort of jumping into the fray is not my natural way. I mean, I've just kind of never been, never wanted to be controversial or I've just always wanted to stay very neutral. But the what's happened to me as I've learned more and more, um, for one thing, it's come from a place that I trust in my gut. But also at a certain point, I thought, you know, I don't want to just be one more screaming voice. I mean, that's just not telling somebody that they're wrong. It's not, it's not helping. It doesn't do any good. And so I started trying to think about it in a different way, which is, okay, can we develop some kind of understanding for each other's point of view? How do you not say anybody's bad or wrong? How do we try to understand each other so that we come from a place where we honor each other's point of view and try to be aware of each other as we move forward? I've met people who've really done this in in terribly difficult situations uh, where big social change was sort of being discussed, and from the civil rights movement to the Palestinian conflict, and I believe it can be done, and that's that's sort of what I'm trying to contribute, a sensible voice, maybe. There's no future for you then on the Fox News Channel, I'm afraid. Well, that's just fine. (laughs) I'd rather not be on either extreme. I'd rather (laughs) squat myself down in the middle and try to be in a 
place where I can relate to both. Well, you know, you, you had a great point uh, earlier in the interview that we uh, shouldn't have probably touched on more in that over half of America's electricity is, you know, supplied by coal and coal miners. So if, if we can find a way to meet in the middle, it makes an awful lot of sense. All right, Kathy, we have only a few minutes left with you, so let's play another track from the new CD, Coal. Here's Coal Tattoo, Kathy Matea. Traveling on down that tall town road, listen to my rubber tires whine. Goodbye to Buckeye, white sycamore, I'm leaving you behind. What veins of blue as the cold? Well, somebody said that the strange tattoo you have on the side of your head. I said that's a blue mark left by the cold. Little more and I'd have been dead. Matea performing live at the Weinberg Center in Frederick, Maryland on May 9th, part of her tour supporting the new Grammy-nominated album, Cole. All right, Kathy, uh, story in the new Rolling Stone about Chris Christopherson. Did, did you happen to read that by any chance? I have not read it yet. All right, it's written by Ethan Hawke. It's a phenomenal article, but in the beginning of the article, it alludes to Christopherson and Ray Charles and some other guys standing backstage to play Willie Nelson's 70th birthday party, and, and there's an interaction that happens with an unnamed big-time country superstar a couple of years ago. 
who came across as a, as a huge jerk. Um, any big-time celebrity jerks that you want to rat on right now, this is your opportunity. Name names. <laughs> just let it all out. <laughs> well, you know, I'm just trying to think of what good that would do. <laughs> and, but see, so you're you not know, denying that you've like interacted with that would not leave anything of any value in the world, I don't think. And besides that, it's only one opinion, and, and God knows all of us have moments where if that was your only interaction, you'd think that was all we were. So I'm I'm not going to do that. All right, fair enough. Well, you had your opportunity, so as long as I can put it out there for you. <laughs> hey, uh, you're touring a bunch on this new album, and so it's a lot of time on the bus just kind of hanging out. What do you do to pass time on those long drives? I have one guy in my band who is just a movie hound, so he feeds us movies and stuff. Um, we talk about music, and there's, we read, and we surf the net and stuff, and we uh, tell jokes and stories, and, uh, you know, we follow the news and sort of, you know, talk about the bigger issues and how we find our way through them. And it's sort of like, the interesting thing about the bus is it's sort of, you know, it's open-ended time, with each other so it's different than working in an office because you know there you are in this space together and so you get to know each other sort of in this kind of familial way because you know there y'all are in your sweatpants crawling into your bunk going to bed you know sure, and sure. so um it's a it's a whole different way of being with your co-workers and uh over the years you know i've been really lucky to have i mean i think right now i have one guy that's been with me 10 years one guy that's been with me 20 years then one guy that's been with me like eight years, and then the new guy's in his second or third year. So it's just, you know, uh, we really do get to know each other and go through a lot of, uh, you know, births of children and deaths of parents and divorces and marriages all together. And um, it's it's a really rich experience. So it's not so bad then. All right, what what is uh, the favorite part of what you do for a living? If there was one thing that you could crystallize and say, yep, I like this the best. I love that moment when the room disappears, when suddenly we're all together and there's this kind of transcendent moment when we're all listening to the song and we're all having, like, we're all just sort of in that experience. And and when when it's really happening in that very special way, I'm sort of not really aware that I'm the one that's singing the song. I'm sort of so in the moment that I'm listening along with everybody else. And I think that that's part of what music is for. You know, it gets us back in the moment, and it gets us connected to each other. And sometimes I think of theaters and stuff and performances as like little churches because it, we're all gathered together. We sing together. We listen to music together. We react together. But you don't have to believe anything to be there. It's just the same for everybody. And it's just, um, you know, I think it's, I think music's a real sacred thing. I mean, whether it's secular or religious, I think it's just a sacred thing. And it's part of what reminds us, gives us a new point of view on our humanity. Well, now, having said that, you've had hits now for, my God, 20 years um, do, does that mean that you like never get tired of singing some of those songs that you must have sung thousands and thousands of times? Uh, is it tough to find inspiration to really put a little oomph into it on some nights? Nope, nope. It's my, that's my job. That's my responsibility. And I remember a certain point thinking, okay, I have a choice when I sing 18 Wheels and a Dozen Roses, for instance. I can, I can check out. 
yep. of my body and let my body sing the song while I, you know, go do my grocery list or something. I can roll my eyes and think, oh, geez, I have to sing this song again. Or I can stay present in the moment and bring something to it to offer. And so some nights I'll think, oh, I just want to, I just want to hear this very simple love story one more time and really remember the basic story of the song. Some nights I'll be just enjoying how well my voice knows this tune and how easy it is to, 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 for it to come through me. Sometimes I'll think, okay, there might be one person in this audience and it'll be the only time they ever get to hear the girl who sang that song on the radio do it live. And so I just sing to that person. Or, you know, sometimes I'll just think, God, Bill's guitar, it's just the most beautiful sound. And I love this solo he plays so so much. And it doesn't matter what approach I take, but if I can honor the moment, then the band stays more present in it, the audience stays more present in it, and we all get this little gem out of it. But it, but the, but I'm the one that's in the driver's seat, and it's my responsibility to bring that forth for everybody. And I have that chance every night to either waste it or use it. And uh, I made a decision along the way that I was gonna, I was gonna use it. I wasn't gonna waste any of it. And if you have the chance to check out Kathy Matea uh, live, do it. It's a phenomenal show. The tour is wonderful. The backdrops, by the way, you have for the Cole set are, are great too. And and uh, I love the way you break the setup. Thank you for spending time with thank us today. You. Oh, thank you. It's my pleasure. My pleasure. It's been great to talk to you this morning. Kathy Matea, live in Frederick at the Weinberg Center, Saturday, May 9th. With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.